Welcome to Murder Most Foul, a podcast devoted to exploring famous murder cases of our time. Some solved, some unsolved, but all fascinating and guaranteed to raise the hairs on the back of your neck. I'm your host, Jim Solonowski. Today's episode... Miranda's Victim You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney. If you cannot afford an attorney, one will be provided for you. If you have watched any cop show after 1965, from Dragnet to Law and Order, you recognize those words, often printed on a small, crumpled card pulled out of a detective's pocket. Miranda writes, But who is Miranda? Ernesto Arturo Miranda was an American criminal and laborer whose conviction on the kidnapping and rape of an 18-year-old young woman was set aside in the landmark United States Supreme Court case, Miranda v. Arizona. The movie Miranda's Victim tells the true story of a brave victim of rape and her ordeal to put a serial rapist behind bars twice, and in so doing, found her voice. My guest today is Michelle Danner, director of Miranda's Victim. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, wow. Okay, wow. Um, <laughs> I, I, I put it on again yesterday, uh, and uh, I'm sorry, this is like the third, yeah, this is the third movie uh, that I've used as background to a story. Uh, the first one was, and again, I think your publicist was part of this, uh, is, uh, the release of American Murderer, uh -huh. uh, which was my first one. And I just finished one that I haven't edited uh, called Hollywood Land. I mean, it's based on the movie Hollywood Land, which was uh, the maybe suicide of Superman star George Reeves. And this is the third. Oh, so wow. it's a little different. I'm usually doing authors or victims or police. So this is, again, which I, I'm really getting excited about doing this and promoting um, smaller films. So before we get into the story, which, again, it's not uh, a mystery. The, the story is out there. I didn't know about it. But, I mean, the concept of the Miranda rights is uh, and how it came to be is you can Google it, Wikipedia, and it's right there. Uh, of course, you dramatized it, dramatized it beautifully. Thank um, you. So let's go back a little bit of how it came uh, to be. And in, in other words, uh, were you did you come together as a group, the writer, director, producer? Were you hired? How did you become involved uh, with this true story? Well, they sought me out. I was, I was, you could say, I was hired. Um, I got an email asking me if I was interested in directing it, and immediately. I saw that there was a gap in our history because nobody had ever told the the story, the origin of how the Miranda rights came about. 
And so I was instantly fascinated by the story, and it happens to be a fascinating story. And so I was really happy to uh, to get involved and start to work on it. And it's been, um, you know, two years of my life that have been intense and and filled with uh, discovery and excitement. Now, and, and again, like I, I, I've said to you, uh, maybe before I started recording, but that I did, uh, I got a, a chance to see a screener's version, but it is available now for streaming, but uh, I didn't have to pay for mine. So, <laughs> uh, but it is out there now. And uh, again, it's it's clear in the near the end of the movie. And, and, and um, again, it's not technically based on a book, but the writer did meet so he was the instigation, I guess, or the the first uh, part of the triumvirate of writer, director, producer. He met with uh, who is we'll get into that in a minute. Why it's called Miranda's victim, but he met with the young lady whose story this is. Is that correct? And so that's he correct. George Colbert was asked the question that you know uh, no one had asked, which is what happened? What happened? What happened to the victim? And he researched it and he sought out Patricia Weir, wonderful lady, a uh, strong lady. And um, he said to her, let's, uh, you know, would you be willing to uh, tell the story, the story, your story, what happened? And uh, she agreed. And he went and, um, you know, looked for, uh, you know, people to write. And he, um, you know, he wrote as well. He wrote the story and... Uh, and then he wrote some scenes uh, that we collaborated on. And there's other writers also. There was, you know, Richard Lasser and there was Craig Stiles. And uh, and we got to a shooting script. I, I had several notes as well, because uh, that's what happens when a director comes on board. You know, they create a shooting, a shooting script. And uh, I was happy to get the cast that I got that led me to this extraordinary cast. Uh, and I do have to point out, I mean, I'll, I'll, this might, you know, to some people, they, these names mean something to me. Of course, Andrew, Andy Garcia, Luke Wilson, Donald Sutherland. Yes, My that God, I'm so glad something like this after the stupid orange juice commercials. I mean, you know, that he is still alive and doing something. It was an amazing, uh, you know, if you, you could call it cameo, it's a very small part. He plays a judge. But it is so impactful. Oh, yeah. It's a pivotal part. He renders extremely verdict. pivotal. Yeah. No, he uh, he played a historical figure and he uh, was generous and kind and, of course, legendary. And so uh, it would, just, you know, what can I say? <laughs> what can I say? Donald Sutherland. Now, they, uh, you say, you know, you were approached. What was the, again, I, I did not check the, uh, I got as far as producers, I didn't get to the, there's always eight different levels of well, producer by. Uh, Colbert, you know, at, at the time, uh, you know, he emailed me, uh, Richard Lasser as well, and they emailed me and I uh, I flew to New Jersey to meet and um and then i didn't hear back you know so i thought well this might not be meant to be but it turned out that it was meant to be to my uh absolute joy because i really really wanted to direct this movie now who was or what company was the ultimate producer you know the executive or the where did the money come from well there were several people 
uh, and um, the several companies that are involved, including my company that did the producing, because I also happen to be a full-fledged PGA producer on this project. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was just, you know, it was incredible, an incredible journey from beginning to end, from conception, from the very beginning. Now, people think, and I did, in fact, I was doing a, uh, uh, I can't remember again the the case, but it was back in the, uh, well, obviously before this, so it's late 50s, maybe early 60s. And, um, you know, I said something about, well, what about, how did this happen? How did the police do this or do that? And this person, unfortunately, was innocent. And I said, well, how did this happen? What about the Miranda rights? He's, and he just looked at me and said, well, there was no such thing. So uh, let's start with the let's start before we tell the story of the victim, the uh, history of Miranda rights. What's it connected to? Um, we always had the Fifth Amendment. That's what I thought. That's all we needed. But talk about before this case, were there this kind these kind of rights? Well, yes. I mean, before, you know, this came about um, the ACLU, you know, was was looking for a case to used to advocate for these rights for people to have rights when they uh, get arrested that they should have some sort of you know attorney present so they wouldn't confess to something that they might have not done uh of course a lot of the times people that actually did it have protections so it works both ways but that is our country that's our, our the wonderful country that we live in you know people get protections whether you're innocent or you're guilty because you are presumed you know to be innocent until proven guilty in a court of law so those are the rights the civil rights liberties that everybody you know has a right to that did not exist before miranda's victim and in fact, this was the case, you know, for it. 1963, Patricia Weir, you know, uh, the state of Arizona versus Ernesto Miranda. Now, I happen to have gone to Phoenix, Arizona and walked the path of that night where this nightmare occurred for Trish. Uh, that's her, her nickname. I went to the Paramount Theater where she worked. I uh, went to the bus stop where she, you know, um, came and was abducted. I, I drove to the desert where she was taken to that nightmarish night. I went to the house where she grew up in, the house where she, um, after that, got married. I went to the house, Ernesto Miranda's house, where he got arrested. I went to the courthouse where he got, you know, indicted. And the museum, there's like a little museum there where he has a big presence. It was very interesting to see all of that. It really connected me to the story. As a matter of fact, when I was at the bus stop, I started to cry because I thought to myself, if she would have taken an earlier bus, it wouldn't have been her. It would have been someone else. But then I thought that someone else might have not been brave enough to fight for this, to go after him, to relive it time and time again so there could be a fair conviction and he could be put away. One of the things that that I find, as you just mentioned it, and now it's obviously clicking to me that that she was approached to tell her story. Now it's much later. Uh, you know, she's been through a lot, I'm assuming, and we'll get into that, you know, the uh, postscript of her life after all this that is briefly mentioned, you know, as sort of a, a 
role at the end of the movie um that um she was and we'll talk about the crime and we want to start from the beginning but i just want to point out that she was reluctant first of all of course to testify back then uh and it's still today women don't come forward for many reasons um uh, if they've been either assaulted or raped and so she was reluctant the first time then we'll get to it's again it's part of the story everyone knows she had to relive it and do it again and so now you're asking her or or the writer um i'm, I'm sorry his name was sure uh, well there's george, george Colber. i mean the original story. guy who sort of reached out to her george george Colber is the original so he's uh, asking her do it again and put your face out there in a movie and as you said she did it and that's great so that's part obviously of her fiber that now you're going to tell us about so tell us um and and again i i tell my audience right now this is a podcast this is an audio podcast we are going to get you interested in this case that's our point you have to watch the movie yes we're only <laughs> going to give you the plot which is scary enough and interesting right. enough historical plot but you have to see the movie okay so tell us what happened to this and she was 18 she was a she was like senior in high school maybe or junior she was in high school right she was in high school she was 18 she was in high school she had a part-time job at the paramount theater she was doing really really well and um and she gets off the bus and she gets she gets abducted and the rest becomes a nightmare but she lives but this man this serial rapist ernesto miranda had done it to many other women and uh and she knew that she knew that he was going to do it again and he said something very interesting to her oh when he brought her back at the same spot where he abducted her the bus stop he said pray for me um which was really interesting uh, because I think it tells you a lot about him and uh, and what was going on with him. Um, but he was a dangerous guy that was on the street causing irreparable harm to many, many young women. Um, she, I, I just got emotional, you know, at that bus stop because I thought, but it had to be her. It really did because she was just strong. 19, just imagine 1963, Phoenix, Arizona. Everybody around her is telling her, don't speak. Don't, don't. Just stay quiet. It's okay. And, just go on with your life. I'm guessing this is, is accurate because there's no reason to embellish that uh, her mother was one of the strongest advocates for her not to come forward. And her, again, this is based, I've only got the movie to go by, that her sister, older sister, was the one who supported her from the beginning, just in her initial, She uh, there's a scene that made me weep, where she's at the gynecologist and, you know, rape kit, the, whatever they're doing that they did in that time. And the, the um, uh, gynecologist, the doctor, I, I, he just was so insensitive, just, you know, a, a schmucky guy. And he's touching, you know, her shoulder and doing that just at that moment, you don't need a man doing that. And her sister was right there. And so that, again, is an incredible scene. Her sister was the only one that, that supported her. Uh, the actor Dan Loria, who we remember from so many wonderful things, including the Wonder Years and 
such a he's an extraordinary actor was kind enough to come to do this scene where he portrayed you know a doctor in 1963 in a realistic way uh that uh you know is doing his job and is not uh you know particularly uh sensitive to this kind of an ordeal um but the bravery that it took the courage that it took patricia weir to really come forth with this story so many you know one of the things that i just i i really realized i was just this weekend at the san diego international film festival where we won an award and we have toured the country with this movie literally doing the festival circuit starting out in the arlington theater in santa barbara which is a historical theater moving on to the um and, you know, the Gasparilla, the Tampa Theater, another historical theater, the California Theater in San Jose, the Avalon Theater in Catalina Island, and just recently, you know, the Regency Bruin, where we had a premiere. All these historical theaters, I think it's been great to watch it with a lot of audience. A lot of people turned out to see it. And what I had an epiphany with is that there are so many more stories than what we know. So when you have the postscript at the end of the movie that says, for a thousand crimes, only there's only five convictions. It's because people do not come forth with these stories for so many reasons, reasons of fear, of shame, of, you know, society, you know, pressures, family, you know, pressures. And so she had all of that in 1963 and she came forth and she did it and she was courageous and she went against what everybody told her not to do. She did it. And so those kinds of acts of bravery, you know, uh, to, to seek justice, to seek, a, you know, a rightful justice because she was so harmed. Because once something like this happens to you, you know, how do you recover? You try to obviously move on so it doesn't define your life, but it's not easy. And, and, uh, and he's convicted in this trial that she, of course, testifies in. Happy ending. Well, listen, Michelle, it was nice talking to you. And well, oh, wait a minute. It's not the end of the story. Is it? <laughs> no, it's not the end of the story. But she, she gets a conviction. You're right. But then the Supreme Court overturns it. And um, Earl Warren, you know, uh, tipped and, uh, and ruled that the conviction was overturned because the ACLU brought on John Flynn, a big, famous, renowned uh, attorney played by the wonderful Ryan Felipe. And, um, and they overturned it. They reversed. They reversed this decision. So now she doesn't have a conviction. Now he's loose again. He's out on the streets. This rapist, free to do it to other women. So she has to go in there again. Now, before we get to that, I mean, there there is a period of time where, and again, great scenes. It's it's episodic, which is great. It has the <clears throat> the dates under it, so you can know where you're going. So it's over, and we don't dwell. I mean, there's not too much at that point about her, though she's having nightmares, whatever. She's getting better. She's getting better. She's going to get married, and there's a scene with, I guess, her sister, and you know, before the actual ceremony, and her sister asks her if she's told her hus husband to be and she right. said no because again in that day i'm amazed it didn't get out 
Uh, her name never came before the press, never came before anything. She was not uh, identified. So she, before he was even released again, she just uh, released after the Supreme Court. He, She just said, you know, no, I'm putting it behind me. I'm not telling uh, my husband about it. And um, so, again, there, that we go forward then that it becomes clear that they're going to have to retry the case. And, of course, she has doubts about that. And uh, so tell us again about, which is a very compelling scene, after uh, the DA uh, comes to visit her in her home to, again, try to encourage her to to come forward. They have new evidence. They figure, and again, putting her back on the stand and this new evidence um, that you can tell us about that came from the wife or the girlfriend of, uh, of Mr. Miranda. And uh, so he leaves and her husband, who is painted a little bit, I mean, it's understandable, but a bit of a, if I may say, jerk. He's only concerned about his own, uh, you know, reputation, whatever. So he comes into the house after a neighbor said, hey, a guy just left. And they have an incredible scene. And she tells him. Right. She finally tells him. She was afraid to tell him all this time. She actually didn't tell her family. She didn't want to talk about it. Once she relived the ordeal, several times to seek justice she wanted to put it behind her she wanted to get past it um but um you know it, like i said it's hard when something like this happens to you uh you can't forget you can move on but you can't forget and so there's a residue of that you can't you know ever erase it that it's ever happened but she stood up. She stood up to her husband. And that's a wonderful scene. And, you know, great actors don't care if they're unattractive. And Josh Bowman, you know, is, I think, you know, he's a great actor. I mean, after he did that scene in the movie, I said to him, you have to go do, go do a Broadway show. You just have this instrument, such a great instrument. He wasn't afraid to go there. And, and, and Abby, obviously, was not afraid to go there. She worked you know, really hard. She was very, very brave, a survivor herself. And uh, and the scene, you know, when you look at a movie, the whole of a movie and all the scenes that you shoot, there are some scenes that cost you more and emotionally. And this scene cost, it cost more, but it was just a wonderful scene. It was combustible. It was everything that I had hoped it to be and more. Um, and so, you know, I was really, really happy the way it turned out. And when I was in the editing room, you know, putting it together, I was just very ignited. I think it's a very important scene where she finally tells her husband and makes the decision that she's going to do it again. So she can get justice. You say in the editing room. I mean, this has got nothing to do with anything except my interest in, in films. I've never been on one, uh, either technician or otherwise. But how, like, you got to do different, aside from the acting, you obviously got to do reverse shots and stuff like that. So can you even in your mind remember, like, sort of how long, barring reshoots, how long that particular scene took, how many, you know, how, how, how long you, or how many times you did he have to go get up that energy? Oh, you mean how many takes the actors did? Um, you know, I was shooting on film 
which is a completely different process if you shoot on HD. So you have to be careful because it's expensive. Um, and so it's not like I could do 19 takes. So I had to get it right in a few takes. Although I, I gave myself permission and I gave my wonderful actors permission to explore. You know, I don't think everybody felt uh, paralyzed or held back by the fact that we're shooting film, but everybody was respectful of it and understood that it was film. So it up to the stakes, you know, in terms of trying to get it right sooner than later, <laughs> you know. So, um, you know, I think we did about, I, I did an average of three to seven takes with everything. I can't remember exactly how many I did here, maybe around five takes, but not too many. You know, not 10, that's for sure. <laughs> now, and um, again, these this is the minutia of which is great of the case and how the lawyers you had to try it a second time. And unfortunately, they did have the wife, uh, girlfriend, I forget at that point, she did use his last name for a while, Miranda, but she test she came forward and testified. So again, we got to make the audience understand the Miranda rights are now set for the country with uh being supreme court decision and uh so that throughout the confession because he did a confession and wasn't warned in advance so he you know and there's a scene where he's visited by this woman and she whispers something or he whispers something into her ear and she slaps him so right. that becomes evidence that she is going to bring forward uh well they didn't she was the live-in girlfriend right twyla uh, of, of Ernesto Miranda and uh, she did know that he uh, he raped girls she knew that and she's specific I mean I don't know that she knew that to the extent of you know his crimes but she knew that he had raped that girl because she went and asked him and he told her and he what he wanted actually is he wanted her to go and see Patricia Weir and tell her that Ernesto Miranda is willing to marry you. That's how delusional he was, uh, full of himself, arrogant, that he was willing to marry Patricia Weir because if she felt that because he had raped her, you know, it took away her chances of getting married. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's really a crazy story. Uh, he never married this his live-in girlfriend, Twyla. He was actually, if you look at his pictures, uh, he was uh, not an unattractive man. Uh, of course, you know, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> you can be, you don't have to be uh, unattractive or attractive to commit, you know, sexual assault. But he happened to, you know, have girlfriends. He didn't have a hard time getting women even an attractive guy and and charming to boot because he was able to wrap around his fingers his his attorneys his attorneys liked him and he you know held a job and but he had a horrible horrible childhood which of course is no excuse but his parents were alcoholics he was beaten and um you know he uh, obviously was not able to um you know, uh, filled that pain in him, which made him act out in a violent way. 
And I think that the thing that he told, you know, uh, victims, which was pray for me, or at least he said that to Patricia Weir, uh, is very telling in terms of, you know, um, the turmoil and the danger that he caused to society. And there's a point, again, there's been not a, well, a sort of reconciliation uh, put together by the police of of uh, her husband, where he is uh, uh, picked up uh, after this uh, altercation and revealed by uh, the victim that um, she was raped. So he's out drinking <laughs> a beer while he's driving. He gets arrested. So he's put before the same people, the same uh, authority, the cops that are running the case. And they say, look, all you got to do is just hold it together. And, you know, we're not going to charge you with this DUI. Just, you know, but please realize what she's doing is brave. And they do badger him to admit that someone can who can do this is a hero. Say the word. She's a hero. So he calms down a little, but the, but he, he has to, in this courtroom scene, I love the shot you set up, where it's it's a it's a long shot of her on the stand. And she's starting to get into correcting, not correcting, but uh, what's what I'm looking for? Repairing her testimony, which she was badgered in the first trial, that she is confused about whether he used his finger or his penis. And so all that's going to be brought out and she's going to get the time to to really put that across. He gets up from the gallery and walks out. And right. she can see that. Part of her journey, part of Patricia Weir's, you know, um, arc was to find her voice because at first you know she was 18 years old and and she was scared rightly so she was in terror so she wasn't able to say exactly what he did to her and in the state of arizona if somebody sexually assaults you with a finger well it's not rape and so therefore it's not a conviction and so, and of course, he didn't just assault her with a thing. He assaulted her. Um, and she had to be able to say that, to articulate that. So partly, and I think that's what Abigail does so brilliantly in the movie, is she finds her voice as she goes on. You know, she starts with the 18-year-old and then the movie ends, you know, in 1975. So 12 years later. And uh, she's the woman that has children and uh, was able to stand up for herself. And now, and you, you again, you mentioned, or I think it's in the press stuff I have here that you were concerned about, about because the time spans to be as accurate as you can. I love the TVs and the cars and everything that is right out of that time period. But it was not sad, but I felt sad for her, the loneliness of maybe having her sister uh, support her, but she's in her apartment or house and she's ironing, ironing and she's watching a soap opera. And yes, she has a child in a crib. Uh, and so she didn't go to college. She never really had a, a job except at the movie house. So, you know, that is horrible for anyone. But to find whatever maturity and emotion, I don't know where she got it. Maybe, you know, after uh, meeting with her, how you know, where does that come from? You know, her, I think, her sense of having been so deeply violated. She was so, you know, um, 
that she felt that he couldn't get away with it. As a matter of fact, we had an event uh, which served as our East Coast premiere of the movie a few weeks ago. In, um, and it's the, the only event that Patricia Weir has done in addition to doing the Morning Joe show. She, um, because she, she's shy, you know, and, but she came out and there were about 700 people there. And I came out with her and everybody stood uh, to their feet to give her a standing ovation that lasted quite a while. And I really got emotional. I got emotional because this is a woman that paid such a price for having had that happen to her. And she was so strong and she pursued justice in such a deep way. She was so deeply justified. And one of the questions, the organization Rain was there, which is, you know, the number one organization in our country, uh, you know, uh, for sexual assault. And then, you know, um, she was asked, why, why did you, you know, she said he had to, he had to pay for it. He had to. So she really had a deep sense of, you know, that drove her, of, of she was justified in, in going after him. He had, you know, hurt her so deeply. And she was afraid he was going to do it to many others. And again, seen in the movie, wonderful uh, Donald Sutherland, but also her and the final. And again, it's not a surprise if you know anyone who Googled. So it doesn't hurt if you know the whole story before you watch the movie. The, 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 what you have was able to do uh, to to dramatize and still make it interesting going ahead, even knowing, you know, who done it, if you will. But she is leaving that he's found guilty. And uh, he, she's leaving, you know, hugging her, 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 her supporters, and is leaving. Stops and and makes, I guess, calls his name, and they're, you know, about five, ten feet apart. And she just looks at him and she says, "I will pray for you." Yes, it's a beautiful moment in the movie because it's part of her releasing, you know, the what you have, to, what victims have to go through in order to cope partly i think you just have to release you have to be able to let it go and her forgiving him in that moment uh was part of that you know of that and journey as a wrap up that gets a little bit quicker at the end because everyone wants to know well what happened uh after that well he went to jail I guess he was out and was it eight years? He was paroled uh, again because a state crime, you do a third or less than a third if you have good whatever federal, you go a little longer, 80%, I believe. But so he got out and he's, you know, wandering around. He's in a bar. And again, it's part of the history. He is murdered because he gets into a bar fight and someone stabs him. So he's finished. And obviously he gets, she gets a phone call. From uh, I'm not sure. I'm in, for me. I missed. Maybe it's clear who the call is from to alert her. But uh, her back is to the camera, and you know what's happening. Someone is letting her know uh, that he is now off the, off the face of the earth. Right, and there's another twist which we are not going to mention, only because we want people to watch the movie. But yes. Um, I had some pressure to not tell all of that. But I thought to myself, karma is a bitch. Justice comes full circle with karmic justice. And I wanted to tell the whole story and not just part of the story, you know. Some of um, some of the earlier, you know, a pushback was let's end the movie when Trish comes out of 
the courthouse and she's on the steps and that's the end and I said well we didn't tell the full story then we didn't tell the story of justice that comes full circle and and, and again you could have done it with a role you know which you did at the end where the the real people are now that they you know when they lived or if they're still living so forth the, the uh, actual people who are portrayed in the movie and you could have just done and and so and so died in a bar fight um let's now because you do and again what i've got here which i it's probably from your publicist is the you know just some of the things about the movie and how you approached it and you really i mean we know there's a, a victim here who is terribly wrong but you sort of don't really i don't think you come down really hard on miranda rights you say you're going to leave that to the audience the whole concept of because it's cleared innocent people and i looked this up there's been several murders that have been reversed because right. of confession or no lawyer or no rights being read to them so it goes that cuts both ways so after you've made the movie and learn and met and and lived a, a victim for so long um what do you, you share with me what you're feeling now after even some time from it what your feelings of of the that they took the case it was rough for then um Ms. Weir but it do we are we happy that we have Miranda rights now I think so yes the movie really made it a point to not take a stance because obviously as we find out the person that kills Miranda you know does get away with it <laughs> to this day because of the Miranda rights um you know and I think they're they're important civil you know liberties that civil right liberties that folks need to have uh that's for sure now you know like everything no system is perfect you know in this case the judicial system did work to a certain extent I say to a certain extent because he didn't do 20 years he did eight um but you know it's important that uh, you know uh there should be rights in place for sure I think um that's just the way you know our society um is uh, well and and again this wasn't a, I think it was in my mind is looking at it um doing some research on it that the whole it it didn't create new rights it codified what some judges maybe some will say liberal or what thought was a part of the fifth amendment that it you just can't have in there you don't have to incriminate yourself well, what does that mean it means you're entitled to a lawyer I mean so it codified what was already in the constitution it didn't create a new amendment to the constitution so in that way it just sort of made it a i think a little easier for for police they're not going to be if they get the guy to sign it here are all my rights and he signs that and then at least you've got some basis that you're not going to have that interrogation or uh whatever uh turned back right exactly it's their important rights to have in place for protection did you say earlier, Michelle, that the actress um, Abigail, who played Trish Weir in the movie, she is uh, a sexual assault uh, survivor herself? Abigail, you know, yes, she is a, a survivor, and uh, she talks about it, and that's why you know it made her, it made her bravery even more so that she agreed to play this part, uh, because she she had to feel it, and and of course when it came time to shoot that pivotal scene of the rape you know uh it wasn't it wasn't easy 
But she stepped up to the plate in an incredible way, and her performance speaks for, for itself. And you do uh, mention, I mean, I think it's again, there's in the in the credit or just before the credit rolls, I think you do put forth uh, some of the, uh, uh, the well, first, the uh, the data on how many women come forward, but on various organizations that uh, that people that women can contact. Yes. Well, you know, rain has, you know, a really great hotline if you know, God forbid, something like this has happened. This is, you know, you can reach out and the number's right there on the screen before we roll the rest of the credits. Great. Is there any, I'm, we've covered this wonderfully and you've shared some insights that um, I appreciate. And again, I still say, take, I hope people listen to this, then watch the movie because I think that will, it will enrich in the um, uh, experience. But as we wrap up, is there anything that I sort of glossed over or babbled over that you'd like to you've done i'm sure a heck of a lot of interviews is there something that i didn't ask you that someone else did and that you'd well, like to answer that question I, I thought you were great but i want to say that i think this is such an important story very rarely do you find a story that has not been told and this really serves for different generations uh, as a very educational you know story to find out how this came about. And, um, and this is something that is so timely right now. Women are sexually assaulted as we speak every day. And there's so many unreported crimes. It's very important to, to speak about it, to tell these stories, to have audiences, you know, be inspired to support people that they know to help them, to encourage them, to tell their stories, to come forth. And so I hope that as people will watch it, you know, if they have something that they've been sitting on, that had they've been afraid to tell, that this will, you know, give them the courage looking at how much of it Patricia Weir had 60 years ago, that this will inspire people to do the same if, if they have such a story to tell. The movie is Miranda's Victim, and my guest today has been Michelle Danner, who was the director slash producer. I mean, she's the movie, and that's what's so fantastic about it. And it is now, um, I'm assuming it might pop up still in, in a festival or or you'll have a show in somewhere. But we just did one this weekend. We have St. Louis Film Festival coming up on November, I think, 11th. And we're doing some DGA screenings. And uh, yeah, and then it's up for award consideration. So not quite. Don't wait, don't wait, don't wait. It's streaming right now. It's not expensive. It's like eight or nine dollars or something on a couple of services. So uh, stream it, and it's not. You don't need it on a big screen. It's it's not Star Wars. It's a beautiful film. Watch it. Watch it with your loved ones. Uh, spread the word, and that's how we do it. And so I want to thank my guest today from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Thank you so much.
my loyal listeners out there, I'd like to thank you for listening in to another episode of Murder Most Foul. Uh, this one, I admit, a uh, little different. It did not have a murder involved, but I thought it was, A, an important case. And also, uh, technically, Miranda rights have uh, figured in many cases of murder uh, across the country, uh, murderers being let go. Uh, uh, convictions overturned because there was uh, not Miranda rights followed, and also innocent people who got a second uh, uh, chance uh, at a trial because their Miranda rights were violated. So I do hope you appreciate the little diversion from my usual fare. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends. Uh, the podcast can be gotten accessed on all your favorite uh, uh, platforms. But also, you can uh, link to it on uh, the podcast's website. The address is www.murdermostfowl, all one word, no caps, no spaces, dot com. And there you can uh, link to my email address. You can drop me a line. And in the meantime, please stay safe. And for God's sakes, don't murder anyone. (laughs) 